it speaks of following someone. Now notice it says, verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. And the Bible says there's some bad examples in verse 18, but verse 17 says, find yourself a good example. I'm going to tell you, because Jesus Christ is coming back, you and I ought to find a good example, and we ought to follow that example. That's what the Bible says here in this context. I want to ask you, what example are you following? You know one of the problems with our modern culture today and with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today? Some of us find people online and we take our cues of behavior from people we follow online more than people who line up with the Scriptures. So the Bible says, find a good example. Be followers together of me, Paul says, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. There ought to be a following. First, First Corinthians 4 and verse 16, the Bible says this, Wherefore I beseech you, the Apostle Paul says, be followers of me. Be followers of me. First Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of me, the Apostle Paul said, even as I also follow Christ. Hebrews 6 and verse 12. That ye be not slothful, but be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. The Bible says, remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. And here it is, whose faith follow. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It is godly, it is right, it is biblical for you and me to find an example and then to follow that example. And we ought to do that because Jesus is coming again. The two are tied together here in this context of Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to ask you something. Who are you following? Who are you following? Where is the person that you have seen live a life of faith, and so by the grace of God, you've determined to be a, a person of faith? Where is that person who is living the life of being a soul winner, and so by the grace of God, you're going to be a soul winner? Who is that person? What, can you give me their name this morning? Because just as certainly as Jesus is coming, and just as certainly as He will change your vile body and mine, so we should be following someone that is an example of how we ought to live. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Somewhere along the line, there has to come a time when we're not so much concerned with following an example as we are concerned with being an example. I wonder, who are you following? But I wonder, what would this church be like if everyone followed you? The Bible says it's an important aspect because Jesus is coming again. There needs to be a following. And the Bible says we need to follow those who, who walk with a godly example. Sometimes I go into churches and somebody will come to me and they'll say, Brother Paul, I know your son is here. I said, well, he is. How could you tell? And this is, all, this is what they say all the time. I know your son is here. I could tell by the way he walks. Now, I have gone to my sons, and I have said this, Pastor Monday. I said, look, when you walk, you walk like you have a purpose in life. I said, even if you have no idea what you're doing, you still walk like you have a purpose in life, okay? You ever see people that just kind of walk in like this? Ever seen that? And I told my sons, I said, that's not the way we're going to walk. 
We're going to walk with our head held high. We're going to walk with our shoulders back. We're going to stand erect, and we're going to walk like we have a purpose in life. Some years ago, I was on my way to Kansas to purchase a vehicle. We had made the purchase, but they had to take care of some things. And so I, uh, I told them, I said, let me take my family back to, to Mississippi, and uh, we will return, and we'll be with you, and we'll, we'll be with you in, um, and, and pick up the truck next week. He said, well, that's, that's not a problem. We've got to put a bed liner, got to do a couple things to it. I said, fine. So I took the rest of the family home. We parked the trailer in Mississippi, and my son Josiah and I decided we were going to ride back. I'd contacted a church there in Topeka, Kansas, and they said, Brother Paul, our prophet's chamber is available for you. You are more than welcome to stay. We will put a key underneath the mat, and, uh, and that, 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 that'll be everything that you need. You're welcome to stay there the night and do everything that you need to do. So I was excited about it. I got, got Josiah in the vehicle, and, and away we drove, and, uh, and we got, got there and uh, picked up the mat. There was no key under the mat. I thought, well, maybe I've gotten the address wrong. I looked back at the text. No, the address was correct. I looked. I went around the building. That's always an exciting thing in the dark. Brother Joe, when you're, when you're going around a building that you don't know before and you think to yourself, I'm probably on camera somewhere. And I don't know if the camera feeds just go into the church office or if the camera feeds go to some Pinkerton security. I, I just don't know. But I told my son Josiah, I said, son, we're not going to slink around as we walk. We're going to walk with our head erect and we're going to look around like we're some kind of government inspector. Now, we weren't, but we we're going to walk like it. Well, I thought to myself, maybe I've gotten the wrong church. Because there was no key anywhere. There wasn't a key under the mat, like they said. There wasn't a key anywhere. And I thought, oh, we have been had. We have no place to sleep tonight, son. We're going to, I said, maybe the church we're supposed to be at is another church down the road. Maybe I got something wrong. So sure enough, not far away, there was another church. And I walked into the church. And I told Josiah, I said, son, I have no idea who it is that we need to talk to here. But we are going to walk like we have purpose. We're going to hold our head high, and we are going to get some information. I said, just follow my lead. He said, okay, Daddy. We walked in there. They were having a women's conference. There was a female apostolic evangelist there that was preaching to all these ladies. I said, we got in there, and there wasn't a man in sight. I said, not a problem. We're going back to the kitchen. The men always serve at these things. Just hold your head high and walk like you got a purpose. That's what we did, Brother Tyler. We walked through there. Everybody looked at us. Wonder who those men are. Look at that. What? Wow. Wonder if they're, well, and you could, just, you could just tell the ladies were a little bit nervous. The female evangelist came to me and said, sir, may I help you? I said, no, no, ma'am. I just need to slip right back here. I need to ask a couple questions here. And uh, she said, oh, okay, okay. And so she went on to prepare her sermon. I don't know what female evangelists do. But anyway, she just kind of left us alone. I went back there. Sure enough, there were some men, and kind of men, in the kitchen. And I asked them a few questions and all that, and they, they pointed me in the right direction. And uh, then the story had a bummer ending because... The secretary had forgotten to leave the key. I was at the right church, and I had to get a motel for the night. But the walk is important. The walk is important. I want to ask you something. What if everybody walked spiritually like you walk? What if that person came in and, and, the, and whoever is around them said, Oh, you must go to Platte Valley Baptist Church. How can you tell? I can tell by the way you walk. 
I want you to know the Word of God says because Jesus is coming again, there is an example that has to be followed, and there's going to come a time when you're going to have to be the example. Let's go on. Let's find something else. Let's find the book of Colossians. It's probably right there, maybe a page or two over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, would you turn there please? We're talking about the second coming. The second coming ought to produce a following. The second coming ought to produce something else. It ought to produce a fight. A fight! Yeah, let's look what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 3, we're reading in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now watch, here comes the promise of the second coming. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. When you, free, when you find that word appear in the New Testament, it often refers to the rapture of the church. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You see it there? So here we have a reference to the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christ is going to appear in glory, and you and I are going to be with him. That's the rapture of the church in verse 4. Now watch verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which also ye walked sometime when ye lived in them. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church of Colossae. Because Jesus Christ is coming again, you ought to not live under the control of your flesh. Now you understand, when you and I got saved, there was a part of us that all it did was sin, okay? That's all it did. It's called, in the, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, it's called the flesh. The Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 12, not, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. You see, before you and I were saved, our hands just did whatever the flesh wanted them to do. Our, our mind did whatever the flesh wanted us to do. Our ears listened to whatever the flesh wanted us to do. That's the path of ease. That's the path of iniquity. And that's what we did before we were saved. But once you and I got saved, the Spirit of God came to live in us, and all of a sudden, there is a battle between the Spirit of God and the flesh, and you and I are told to mortify or to kill or to make dead the deeds of the flesh. And we're told to do that because Jesus is coming again. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12, Therefore we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. You see, once I got saved, I owed a debt not to live like I used to before I got saved. I owe a debt for there to be a visible difference in my life, and that difference ought to be visible because Jesus is coming again. 1 Peter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Excuse me, 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. You and I are to just stay away from those desires because they are warring. They are fighting against the soul. Can I tell you something? There's such a thing as a music that feeds your flesh. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you understand Jesus is coming again. You ought not, you ought not be involved in that. 
You ought not be involved in it. There's such a thing as an entertainment that feeds your flesh. You ought, you ought not watch it. You ought not be involved in it. There, there are websites that feed your flesh. You ought, and understand, you ought to feed on things that are going to help you draw closer to Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus is coming again. That's why. The Bible says it should produce a fight. I don't know if you remember or not, but in 2020, January the 3rd, the world was rocked with the news that an attack had taken place outside the airport in Baghdad. So much has happened since then, we, we perhaps forget all of what, what was happening. But from 1998 to 2020, there was a man who lived in the nation of Iran, Qasem Soleimani. Maybe remember the name now. Qasem Soleimani had, uh, had taught people, he had instructed, and he had trained people to engage in terrorist wars and battles against the United States of America. We all knew it. The, the military establishment knew it. The, the defense establishment knew it. And there, on January the 3rd, the night of January the 3rd, we had intelligence that he was leaving the Baghdad airport and he was driving not far from the airport. At the time, there was a man in the White House by the name of Donald Trump. Maybe you remember him. Donald Trump, on January the 3rd, gave the U.S. military the, the go-ahead. They said, take him out. And so they did. We awakened to the news that this terrorist who used to be waging war against us was now dead and gone. Can I tell you, as I look back, that was probably the right move to make. You know why that was the right move to make? Because this man, Qasem Soleimani, was waging war on the United States of America. Brother Dwight, it, it astounds me. We have so many Christians today that want to play with the flesh, not realizing that the flesh has declared war on you and me as Bible-believing Christians. The flesh wants to destroy you, just as this, uh, as this terrorist wanted to destroy Americans all over the world, wherever he can encounter them. And just as it was right for someone to realize, I'm at war with him, we're going to put him to death. So it is right for you and me to say, I'm not going to live after the flesh. Jesus is coming again. I don't know when. But since I don't know when, I'm going to fight against the deeds of the flesh because they have declared war on me. And so the coming of Jesus Christ produces a following. It produces a fight. I want you to notice something in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Would you go there, please? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's just a couple of pages over. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Again, the writings of the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Notice what the Scripture says in verse 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 6. Notice what it says. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ produces a following, or it should. It produces a fight. Number three, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ produces a focus. The Bible says there are some people that with respect to the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is as if they are asleep. They're not focused on anything. They don't know anything about what's going on. They're asleep. And so, in this passage of Scripture, the Bible tells us, it says, let us not sleep. There are some people that with regard to what's going on spiritually, they just don't have a clue what's going on. But that ought not be you, and that ought not be me. There ought to be a difference. There ought to be a watchfulness, the Bible says. Let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. 
the word be sober means to be serious. It means there are some things that you ought not joke about. There are some things that are very important. The Bible says because we understand that Jesus is coming again, there ought to be a laser-like focus. i got to tell you, it's interesting the, the way the human body is made. Because the way the human body is made, our focus makes a big difference. Consider what the Apostle Paul told to Titus in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. He said, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, that's talking about the second coming of Christ. It's talking about the imminent return of Christ. You don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But we do know that it will happen. And the Bible says that you and I are to be looking in that direction. I'm in the time of life as an individual where I am training teenagers to drive. Some of you have been through that. Training teenagers to drive, Brother Timothy. And one of the things that I've had to teach all of my children so far is the importance of something that was taught to me when I was being taught to drive. And when I was being taught to drive, they called it point of aim. It was taught to me something like this. When you are driving a vehicle, wherever you are focused is where the vehicle is probably going to go. So your point of aim is very important. Now, I understand how this works. I've been driving a long time. And Brother Tyler, sometimes as I'm driving along back east, I'll be going along and I'll see a big patch of woods. And outside this patch of woods, there's maybe a cornfield or perhaps it's a bean field. And, and as I'm going, I see the patch of woods and I see that the lay of the land just kind of goes down there. It's kind of a depression. It's a, it's a low spot. And then as I'm driving along, I understand, oh, there's a bridge here, which can only mean one thing. In this low spot, there's water running through here. I just crossed over a creek bottom. And you know, in that creek bottom, there is probably a place where I can hang a stand and I can go out there and I can shoot straight and we can, uh, we can have us a deer hunt. And so I begin to scout while I'm going at 75 miles an hour. Now, I know no one in this room would ever do anything like that. But I'm just telling you what I do from time to time. And uh, usually it happens something like this. We're coming along. Boom you know, and I'm in the left-hand lane when I'm not pulling the trailer. And uh, so I'm looking around, I'm looking, I'm saying, mm, I bet you they probably come right in through there. They probably, yeah, and then out this way, yeah. And all of a sudden my wife says, honey, get back on the road. And I hear that telltale, you know, as I hit the rumble strip on one side. What was the problem? Well, first of all, is there a problem? I didn't wreck the vehicle. Just because we got a little grass in the tires as we were going along, it's not that big a deal, right? But no, for her, it's a problem because she doesn't like the sound of the rumble strip. That tells her that maybe whatever's going on in my head might not pertain to driving at that point. That's what it tells her. And if whatever's going on in my head doesn't pertain to driving while we are in fact driving, that's a little bit disturbing to my wife. And so she, she feels obligated to say something. But what is the problem? What problem has come in my mind? Well, all of a sudden, my focus is no longer on the road. My focus is on the deer woods. And you know, I can only keep the vehicle on the road for so long when my focus is anywhere else. 
Now, all of us know today about the problem of focusing on screens while people are driving. I don't know if it's illegal in the state of Colorado, but uh, in the state of Tennessee, not far from where I live, you are not allowed to touch your cell phone while you are driving. It is against the law. You can only access your cell phone by means of hands-free devices, okay? That's just the law of the state of Tennessee. And uh, th- what are they trying to do? They're trying to keep your point of aim and to keep your focus on the road. Let me just tell you something. You and I need to get back to a focus on the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. When I was a boy, it seemed like, I, I could get this wrong, but it seemed like you couldn't go a week without somebody somewhere in an independent Baptist church talking about the fact that Jesus is coming again. There were charts that were put on the walls of Sunday school rooms. There were, uh, there were verses that we would memorize. We had a, we had a song that we sang in, in Sunday school that was a countdown talking about when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. And the song ended with these words, the countdown's getting lower every day. What were they saying? They were saying, boys and girls, as you're learning about the Lord Jesus, you need to understand that just as he came the first time, so he's coming back the second time. And it was supposed to be something that we focused on all the time. The Apostle Paul says, listen, there ought to be a focus in your heart and in my heart on the fact that Jesus is coming again. That means when I get up tomorrow, I ought to remember the fact that Jesus is coming again. As I go through my day, I need to remember the fact that Jesus is coming again. With that kind of a focus, it affects the way I live my life from day to day. That's the kind of focus we ought to have because the imminent return of the Lord Jesus produces a following. It produces a fight. It produces a focus. I want you to find the book of Revelation, would you please? Revelation chapter 3 now in your Bibles. Revelation chapter 3 in the Word of God. Your pastor, I found out later, after telling him that we would be focusing on prophetic, not pathetic, but prophetic themes, I found out that he's been preaching through the book of Revelation. I don't know where he is in the book of Revelation. We didn't talk about that. But I'm sure that he's probably talked about the seven churches of Asia. I'm sure that you've probably been through these verse by verse, and so this will be somewhat of a review to you. But I direct your attention in Revelation chapter 3 to what the Bible says in verse 10. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. This is written to the church of Philadelphia. It is one of two churches in the seven of which the Lord Jesus has nothing evil to say. He has no word of warning. He has no word of, uh, of uh, condemnation. He doesn't tell them to repent. Instead, it is all con- uh, commendation for what they've been doing that is right. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 3 and verse 10. He says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Interesting. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, I don't have time to go into all of the ramifications of this, so I'm glad your pastor has exhausted it by preaching on it not so long ago. But let me just say, here is a reference to end-time events, and yet in this reference to end-time events, the Lord Jesus says, you have done something well, Church of Philadelphia, because you have kept the word of my patience. That blows my mind. 
There's a lot of descriptions that you could give of the Word of God. You could talk about the Word of God. You could talk about the Word of truth. You could talk about all kinds of uh, uh, descriptions that the Bible gives. But here, the Lord Jesus uses the phrase, the Word of my patience. I'm going to tell you what that emphasizes to me. As I see it, as I read it, and as I understand it, the Word of God's patience emphasizes the fact to me that i got to be faithful. i got to be faithful. Because it says, thou hast kept the word of my patience. The word keep means you got to do it for a, pre- a period of time. you got to guard this thing. This is important. I have a friend who was in the United States Air Force. He was being trained as a, as a uh, police officer in the United States Air Force. He told me the story. He said, Several years ago, his unit was tasked with guarding the B-2 Spirit stealth bomber. I don't know how much you know about that particular aircraft, but uh, each aircraft cost the United States, and ultimately you and me as taxpayers, billions of dollars. One aircraft, billions of dollars. And so one of the duties of Air Force, uh, the airmen in the Air Force is they have to guard it. He said, my friend was out there, or not his friend, but a guy that he knew. He said, this guy was out there, and there is a certain line according to regulation. If you cross this line, whoever is the guard is supposed to look at you and say, halt, who goes there? And you are required to identify yourself. If you do not, uh, then, there, then he is armed, and he will, he will apprehend you, and he'll cart you off to the guardhouse, and uh, I don't know what the Air Force does to you after that. I don't think they waterboard people. They may take away your pension. I don't know what the Air Force does. But anyway, um, he, that, that was part of what he was supposed to do. He said, Paul, this guy was supposed to be guarding one of the most important assets in all the United States Air Force. He said, one day, a brigadier general at night came out onto the tarmac because he was going to do an unplanned inspection of the guard. He said this brigadier general is in his full uniform, dress uniform, and he's walking out. He knows where the line is beyond which someone is supposed to holler out, halt, who goes there. He said the brigadier general got to the line and kept right on walking, and he heard nothing. The brigadier general continued walking toward the landing gear of the stealth bomber. As he continued walking, someone was supposed to stop him. Someone was supposed to be there with a a weapon and say, halt, who goes there? But no one was there. He walked all the way up to where he could put his hand on the nose wheel of one of the United States of America's most expensive pieces of military hardware. When from out of that aircraft, someone poked his head out and said, Boo! My friend that was telling me the story said, Never saw the airman after that. Not really sure what happened to him. If you ever go off to the United States Air Force and you are tasked with guarding something, keeping something, let me, let me suggest you do not use what he did. He got in serious trouble. Why? Because he was supposed to keep something. He was supposed to guard something. You and I are tasked with keeping the word of God's patience. Wow. Whatever else that may include, it must include faithfulness. Let me tell you, if Jesus is coming again, you and I ought to be faithful. 
you and I ought to be faithful. If there's a day when there's going to be a tribulation that tries them that are on the earth, that means we better be faithful today. If Jesus is coming again, we ought to be faithful. The Bible says in Proverbs 24 and verse 10, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I want, to, I want you to know, every day as we live in this sin-soaked world, there are things that are going to come along that are going to test whether or not we will be faithful. Tomorrow, as you and I get up, there will be things that will test whether or not we'll be faithful to spend time in the Word of God. There will be things that will test whether or not you and I are going to be faithful in the place of prayer. There will be circumstances that test whether or not we're going to be faithful as a witness for Jesus Christ. But if Jesus is coming again, and if you and I have been given the word of his patience to keep, then you and I must be faithful because Jesus is coming again. I don't know when it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to be. But I'll tell you this, as we focus on different aspects of prophecy, I want you to understand this morning that these aspects of prophecy are to influence your life and the way you live, and they're to influence my life and the way I live. We'll look at what the Bible says about things to come. But as we look at what the Bible says about things to come, let us never forget that those aspects of truth are given to us to affect the way we live today as well. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word in Sunday school this morning. Lord, I pray that you would cause this, this, uh, this meeting and this, this prophecy revival to grow. And I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that you would do a great work in the morning service. I pray that there would be souls that would be saved as they hear the word of God that goes forth from this place. Lord, I pray that the attendance would grow night by night as we talk about how the, many of the, of the things that we're seeing around us relate to what the Bible says about end time events. Lord, you have shown us, you pulled back the curtain on a few things in the end times, but only so we can draw closer to you in this time. I pray that we would all take advantage of that reality and that we would come with ready hearts, ready to receive your truth. We ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you in the morning service in a few minutes.